On today's episode of The Investing Revolution, we're going to talk about three of the most popular strategies in real estate investing. We're going to talk about the long-term buy and hold, the cash flow strategy, and the Burr strategy. This is The Investing Revolution, a podcast designed to help your real estate investment strategy. On this podcast, we'll teach you the actionable steps to take and pitfalls to avoid so that your real estate investing can thrive. Welcome to The Investing Revolution. I am your host, Jonathan Cook, and with me is my lovely co-host, Christine Bennett. How are you? I am doing well. Yes, yes. And today, we're going to talk about some really fun exciting stuff. This is like, it's definitely one of my favorite topics. Oh, we're going to talk about all my favorite things today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this, this, so today, uh, what we are going to talk about is strategies. We're going to dive into the SFR strategies and definitely not all. And, and SFRs, the, the single family rental strategies, right? We're going to get into all, or well, probably not all, but we're going to get into the most popular versions of the single family rental strategy. Look guys, there are so many ways, so many strategies. We we're going to we're going to dive as deep as we can. Um but there's a lot of ways to make money here. We're going to talk about the most popular, the ones that we see most often, mm-hmm. but we're not excluding or saying there aren't great other options to make. Money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and what's interesting is um especially when we get to like the build to rent model mm-hmm. and, and cuz that's relatively new there every couple of years there there's going to be new models that come out there's going to be new strategies that we will dive into in later episodes when we find a little bit more out about them for sure and there's models that exist now that we're not going to get hyper focused in on but what what we're going to do today is we're actually going to take the single family rental strategy, which is like an overview strategy. We're going we're gonna to dive into several of these, these like hyper-focused strategies. Why should you buy a, a single family rental? And then what strategies are, are we going to operate in? And, and we talk about strategies a lot. I know I, know I do. Um, because let's talk about why a strategy is so important. And I know we've given an overview on this, but Having a strategy, a very specific strategy is it's one of the first steps. I mean, we discussed it when we were talking about how do you get started in this? It's such an important step to have your strategy really ironed out. You have a focus. You, this is what I'm trying to accomplish because Christine, I know, I know you have seen this and, and we may have both done a little bit of this when you just decide I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest in real estate. I'm just going to go. I've got I've got this whole idea. I'm going to start buying real estate. It's it's a good investment. Well, which way? Oh, I forgot that that was hey, a thing. Hey, Jonathan. <laughs> hey, hey. Personally attacked here, buddy. I've been there, done that, well, learned from it. So let, let's talk about real quick before we actually dive into the individual strategies. Like, can you? discuss and i certainly have my own handful of stories like why is the strategy so important like like we we gave an overview in a previous episode but like let's talk about what happens if you don't build a strategy early first thing like what how do you start investing in real estate if you don't build the strategy you you watched hgtv this one time and said oh that looks fun so here's the deal it's like it's like trying to make a recipe without the ingredients or without the recipe book. It's like, Hey, I'm going to go put some carrots, some celery, some green beans, and maybe some filet. What are you going to do with that? They're all great items, but until you have a plan on how to put it all together, you have a big old hot mess in your kitchen. I think that that's such a good analogy. It's, it's almost like, okay, I want food. Even it's just, I want food. There's bunches of food in my house. I'm just going to cook at all. I'm going to cook. I'm just going to grab. Oh, I like kidney beans. Oh, I also like cheesecake. You're not going to mix that. You you at least got to know I'm building a dinner or I'm building a lunch or I'm building, you know, whatever. And then it's all right. So what am I building the entree? Am I building 
am, am I building the main course of the entree? Am I building the, the meat itself? Am I going to make a steak? Am I going to make chicken? Am I going to mm-hmm. do whatever? And then there's side items and then there's different courses. And then there's real estate investing is very similar to that. Strategy is just a fancy word for make a plan. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Before you execute. Otherwise you just have big mess. And- so analogies aside, I want to use, um, I, I want to talk about the dangers that I see in going at this without a strategy, like the true honest to God dangers, like n- no metaphors, like actual properties. Cause I know you've seen them and I know I have too. You mean like people lose money and get sued and yeah. Yeah. Christine. Yeah. That let's, happens. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, like a real thing. Yeah. It, w- one of, one of the, uh, you know, stories that I get as, as a BDM, people call me and, Hey, you know, your property managers, uh, I've got this great real estate investment that, um, I want you guys to take over and, uh, manage for me. And they start describing. And, and what's funny is this, um, I mean, and this is going in my book as well, specifically about this, this story is not one story. It is, I mean, I've heard this same exact story, like uncountable numbers of times, like hundred, literally hundreds of times. And it's, it is so often like verbatim the same over and over and over that it's shocking. It is. Uh, so I, I had this real estate agent friend of mine, and he got this great deal on a property. And I understand that real estate investing is a good idea. So because my real estate agent buddy found me this great deal, I bought it. And, you know, he had told me or she had told me, they had told me that, you know, the rent price should be some outrageous number is how it always starts out. It's, it's, it's some crazy overpriced number. And, you know, they had this property manager in their office that, you know, does sales, but really, you know, their sales weren't all that good. So they do property management on the side. So I gave it to this person to do the property management and they couldn't get the rent and it took a long time to rent. And then once we got it rented, the renter was bad, but because it's because property management and the investing in revolution or the, the, the investing in real estate, because of how long it takes to notice oftentimes your mistakes, it'll go two or three years before they realize how much of a mistake that they made. Cause it wasn't the strategy that they wanted. They were wanting, you know, appreciation and cash flow and a long-term investment at the same time. And maybe they wanted to do some improvements in it later. Like they're trying to mix all these strategies together in one property that doesn't fit all of them. It fits one probably really, really well, but it certainly doesn't fit all of them. And they are never happy. They, they will bounce from people to people to people until somebody, usually me, runs into them and goes, well, what was your initial strategy on this property? And they're like, I don't know. A, a real estate investment? <laughs> I, I wanted to buy a real estate investment? I'm laughing because I've literally been there. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you go and you're investing and investing in real estate, it's elusive. You know, it looks exciting. It looks like fun. It looks like, you know, this notion of passive income, people are attracted to it. And like I said, I've been there. I didn't really know what my strategy was. Mm -hmm. I just bought it. And in hindsight, I figured, I figured out that I was just waiting for it to appreciate. But I mean, we've all been there. Then this is the whole purpose of today's show is to talk about, talk about the strategies because literally, I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science and it's not, it shouldn't be pretentious. This is just have a plan, have, have a, a goal in mind when you're looking at a property and, you know, that's how you're going to set yourself up for success. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, that's exactly right. You have to have a goal like that's you have to have a plan to get that goal or a goal to make the plan vice versa both of them simultaneous whatever let's 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 get into these so if we're talking single family rental so that's that's sfr and and there's going to be a ton of acronyms and we say a lot of acronyms yeah we're gonna we're gonna break those down this and, is and we're sorry to you but so we're gonna we're gonna explain some of these so sfr when i say sfr that stands for single family rental 
That's what I mean when I say SFR. That means it's not apartments. It's not a multifamily unit. It's not a duplex, it's not a quad. It's not several properties in one address. It is a house. One house. One house. That is a single family residence. And so we're talking about the single family rental strategies. And that is in like an overview strategy. That is the umbrella in which all of these other strategies are going to fall under. And I think it makes a lot of sense, Christine. And, and tell me if you want to take it to one of the other strategies first, but I think the one that most people end up with or start with um, tends to be that kind of old school long-term buy and hold. It's, it's, I mean, that's what accidental landlords most of the time run into. And yeah, maybe they were never intentionally investing in a property, but maybe you've been, you've inherited a house or maybe you bought a house and you lived in it for a few years and you want to upgrade, but you're like, I don't really want to get rid of this one. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a hedge against inflation. It's a good you know, investment for your retirement because appreciation that that's gonna come naturally. And a lot of the time that's going to be way better than what, like, a you know, a CD is going to hold or, uh, you know, some sort of other safe investment, but long-term buy and hold is a really safe strategy if it's done properly. Of course, of course, you know, long-term buy and it's, this concept has been around for a really long time. Yeah, Very simple. You buy it, you hang on to it. And in the interim, you are making sure that you have some cash flow. So you have a tenant mm-hmm. or a resident, and you are looking at your numbers and seeing, you know, how much repair is go- is this property going to take? How much um, how much does it cost to basically run this property at yeah. that point? You have to change your mind to, and especially accidental landlords. And and we have this conversation almost daily (laughs) is changing your mindset that this is now a investment vessel. You know, this Mm -hmm. is a thing that's going to get you um, from the house that you loved and lived in Mm -hmm. a lot of times and you're emotionally connected to. Now this is a way for you to make make money, you know, it's, it's a business now. Congratulations. It absolutely is a business. And, and that's the hardest. I think we both both of us will agree. Yeah. That's the hardest conversation to have with an owner who has just moved out. Maybe they're either upsizing, downsizing. And what's what's really funny is, I mean, both of us have been through pre-licensed courses a long time ago, which is not, not to say that we're old people, but- Well, speak for yourself. Okay. Yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but my point is like most real estate agents, this is something that we talk about in pre-license. I mean, it is the most base term of, of real estate investing. It's buy low, sell high. I mean, it's that to the nth degree. It is, it is the greatest version of this. And it's, you know, you're trying to buy something in an area that is um, a safe investment, typically meaning it is an area that you see a lot of growth potential in. It is a nice area. It's good school systems. It's a beautiful house. It has some upgrades into it because you lived in it. it. It is a creature comfort type of home. It is something that you see the value in an area. You recognize this area is going to be, you know, such a beautiful area in the future, like Sonoya, like Sonoya, Georgia. This is a really good area for a long-term buy and hold strategy. It, it has been for years. I mean, if you bought in Sonoya 10, 15 years ago, I mean, you've doubled or tripled your investment in, in several areas here. And that's great. This is a good um, plan for your retirement because not only are you collecting rent and rent probably on, on most of these properties, actual true net cash flow probably isn't going to happen in the first couple of years. It really, really usually doesn't. But as you pay down that principal, collecting that rent, you, you are paying that principal down. You can refinance to get a lower rate, whatever. You're paying that principal down to where in 20 years, when we say long-term, I mean long-term. It's not one or two years. It's 10, 15, 20. That's the beauty, I think, of the buy and hold strategy is that sometimes you don't have an expectation that it's going to have a profit right away. Sometimes you're you're just using it as tax shelter, you are banking on the appreciation. You, you don't really want this huge payout right away. You don't want to 
you know, have all these capital gains. So that's the beauty of it is that you can set yourself up with buy and holds to have cash flow immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can set it up to where, hey, I'm choosing this um this type of property or this neighborhood, mm-hmm. and I don't expect it to be profitable right away. This is a long-term business decision yeah. that I'm making. And that's so, the beauty of it. I think that's a really good kind of transition into what are the benefits of a long-term buy and hold mm-hmm. like tax shelter. You said it. I mean, my Lord, what a good, like there are so many tax benefits to owning real estate in general, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's why this is the probably the most actual popular strategy because it, it's almost unintentional in, in a lot of cases, maybe not in most, but, but in a lot of cases it's, this is the American dream, right? Like this is the actual white picket fence, American dream. This, this is it. It is. I I own a property, the home that you live in. It's a long-term buy and hold strategy. Even if you plan to live there forever, guess what? It's a long-term buy and hold strategy. That's what it is. You are, you've invested in an area you've invested in yourself and your children and whatever it is, or your family, whatever, whatever your situation is, you've invested in, I bought this house. Even if you're living in it, you've bought this house and it is a long-term buy and hold strategy. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to hold on to this strategy. I'm going to hold on to this house for some number of years, a long term, and you're going to get benefits from it. Tax benefits is one of the big, big shelters right there because you look at your depreciation schedule. It's why it's important to have a CPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can take that down from a 27 and a half year schedule. If you can focus on this, drop it down to 15 for certain systems, you can separate things out, but you need to plan for that. 15 years is a long time, but that's about how long major systems last. Your roof, your HVAC, you know, water heater, plumbing, electrical, things like that. Those have a very long shelf life. You're not having to replace those every couple of years, every three or four years, replacing them every 15. And if you're depreciating right, you can actually use that, that, that loss, that major loss of, I had to replace my roof and it was $20,000. That can be good for you in a tax shelter because it can lower your annual income. You can use that as a loss, which is a good thing to several people. Like the benefits of this, it's so safe. Like it's really hard to mess up a long-term buy and hold strategy. So I would agree with that. And, and in, like I said earlier, it's universal. You can, if you, if you want to cut your time down on how long, how quickly you pay it off, if it, mm-hmm. if it's financed, then you can set yourself up for that. Yep. So you already know that you're taking a strategic loss over mm-hmm. a period of time. Like you said, the other thing it that's really, and I don't think most people think about it, but we deal with tenants all the time. Yep. And at the end of the day, that's where the money is coming from mm-hmm. is the person who is living in the home. And I've, I've come across this quite often where a tenant, a prospective qualified tenant goes, so what, what does the owner want to do with this property? They're looking for people and investors who specifically want to do long-term buy and holds because it gives them security. And we have tenants who are in properties for three, five years. They want to know that there are investors who plan Mm -hmm. ahead and plan to hold on to the property. Um, Years ago, uh, one of uh, the first time that I ever ran into a homeowner as a property manager that had a single tenant in their property for 17 years. (laughs) It was shocking. The the management agreement that they were on was unrecognizable from what we were using (laughs) at the time. It was like, because their tenant moved out because they moved, they, they had a job transfer and moved out. And, you know, at that point in, in my career, like part of my role was to make sure that we got the, the new management documents in place so that we could renew it, remarket this thing. And I was doing a lot of those, those steps and I, you know, called her and sent her the new management agreement. She's like, Jonathan, I don't understand this management agreement. I'd like I, these rates are so different, everything. And I'm like, well, hang on, let me, let me pull up your, and it was like the original management agreement that our company had built. Like they were one of our very first clients and they had only had one tenant in that entire time period. She owed like nothing on the house anymore. And it was making her so much money. And it was, it had appreciated over a hundred percent from what she had bought it to. And I was like, okay, you have a great investment here. 
let me tell you how we handle things now Mm -hmm. because you bought this property when I was in high school, (laughs) (laughs) but it's powerful. I mean, that kind of that, um, she, she, or he may not have planned that initially, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of one of those things that, you know, the passive approach, it's really cool to see what it happens. It is. It's very cool. You know, over time, this thing has that they maybe didn't mean Mm -hmm. to do or didn't really want has turned into this really cool additional income that they weren't really expecting. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a house that she had lived in. She had lived in it and moved out. So to add to that though, had she understood what she had? Oh my God. She could have duplicated it. She could have leveraged it. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the other part of building a good team, having resources, and luckily she was with a really good property management company that entire time. So it was as maximized as that investment could have been. The rent yeah. increases were annual. It was a really well-maintained property. It had an excellent tenant in there. Um, that was when we came up with tenant scoring, by the way. Uh, and 17 years worth of residency, and they were still like an 8.5 out of 10 which is uh, that's that's a shorthand scoring system that we use here at Revolution to determine the the quality of a tenant overall while they're in, and in the worry, property. And don't worry, don't worry, everyone. We're going to do an entire episode on yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, we just want to. It's a really there's there's a lot of math to it, but uh, the the point is that tenant was a great tenant. They they had a really good team in place accidentally very clearly it was an accidental landlord situation they had no idea what they had had but it was a great investment overall at the end of it mm-hmm. after 17 years man it was it was fantastic now could that have been a much quicker stronger better return of course it could have been of course it could have been if it would have been intentionally purchased as you know a different type of strategy and maybe that wouldn't have been the house to do it in oddly enough it would have worked in several different strategies just because of where she happened to have bought Uh, the southeast is rife with properties that can be used in a lot of different strategies so the long-term buy and hold the purpose of what i'm trying to get across with what that long-term buy and hold strategy looks like is it is super super safe it is I mean, it, it's it's like the CD of real estate investing. It's like, you know, that return is going to be pretty steady. You know, your maintenance is going to be relatively low. And if you plan it out with, properly. Well, let me just, go ahead. I just want to interject with planning and having proper expectations. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing we, we deal with this all the time. You get an owner, they call, they need property management or they call, they want to sell their, their investment property because they didn't have the right expectation. They're yeah, like, of course. you know, uh, maintenance is so expensive. Um, you know, my tenant didn't pay for a period of time or, oh my gosh, I've had to do an eviction last year. I've had the property for 10 years. You have to look at it like a, a business. Like mm-hmm. we said, I mean, you have to have proper expectations. Yeah. So. Well, and this is a slight tangent. So stop me in a second. But one of the things that I always find fun about those kind of, uh, homeowners is when they're like, Oh, I've been spending so much money. And then I'll open up their ledger and like their ownership ledger. And I'm looking at that going, my God, you've made, you know, $12,000 a year for the past six or seven years and spent less than 5%. And this this is the first time that you've had a major maintenance item. It's a roof. Yes. Roofs are expensive. Congratulations. You've had this property for a long time. You've just now had to put a roof on it. You're not spending all kinds of money. This is a thing that you were going to have to spend eventually anyways, if you plan to keep the property. And But that's where it comes to that planning session, which is why we have those planning sessions exactly. with our owners. We want them to understand, well, within your strategy, here's how we need to plan for this. Your roof is X amount of years old. That means in this many years, we need to go ahead and plan. This is how much a roof generally will cost to replace. In this many years, you're going to have this maintenance expense. So plan for it. Set aside a reserve. HVAC, water heater. There's certain items that we know are going to have a shelf life, right? Paint, flooring, of course those do. Uh, But painting is way less expensive than replacing a roof, right? So 
that is why that is such a safe strategy is because it lasts so long. It's very passive. It doesn't take a lot of effort to do really well. Um, because I mean, people do it on accident all the time. And so that's a pretty good overview of that. And we'll actually talk way more in depth in how to maximize those returns um, in a later episode where we dive specifically into just this. We're going to talk for an hour about long-term buy and hold strategy. So, uh, but let's let's move on a little bit from that. So, if you don't mind. Oh no, I'm here for it. Okay. So let's uh, let's break down a really fancy buzzword: okay. cash flow. Oh yeah. So, what is cash flow? Uh, money that you're making outside of all of your expenses. The the cash that you make. With, did we just like? Did we just break the world? Did we just break the internet with this like? This is the investing revolution, Christine. This oh my gosh! Like that's really how simple it is. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like I, <laughs> that's really how simple it is. Okay, so like what what shocks me because you said it right. It's a buzzword, and it's a buzzword that people don't understand. People want cash flow, and they don't know what cash flow is. They say, "Well, my mortgage." is $1,000. My rent is $1,500. So I've got $500 cash flow. And I'm like, you are missing so many items here. A couple more items. Maintenance, bit of- taxes, insurance, management. We, we got to factor those in. Well, how do we factor that in? It's, it's math, man. It's math. So the reason I said it like that earlier is because it shouldn't be intimidating. It shouldn't be one of these things that is like, oh, you know, only an expert can do this. You know, only... Only the elite can do this. Not whoa, whoa. necessarily. Whoa, whoa, whoa now. Well, you have to understand what you're talking about. Yes, uh, of course. Or align yourself or okay. align yourself with people who do. Uh, if, if, you, if you listen to the episode uh, two and we talked about team building. Yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be difficult because you should have built a team beforehand. You're right, Christine. This should be super, super easy. You shouldn't have to go find a new expert because you should have built your team properly to begin with before you bought cash flow property, right? Yeah. Exactly. So when we're talking about cash flow here, let's talk about what does a typical cash flowing property look like? Do long-term buy and hold properties usually look like a cash flowing property? Sometimes. So, sometimes, but yeah. usually not really. Yeah. Sometimes if I'm targeting a cash flowing property, where am I going to maximize my cash flow? If my intent is I want as much cash flow as I can get out of a rental property. I'm not buying the same type of investment that I'm buying in a, in a long-term buy and hold. Absolutely not. No, I am buying a C-class property. Like this, and, and C-class is a separate buzz term that we probably need to define, but a classification of a property is, is relatively difficult to, to actually define because a C-class will be different in every area that you're looking it's at. It's a right? little subjective. I agree. It is. I, I agree. I think so. Could, the, could you actually define what, what you look at? Let's say, let's look at Orlando. Let's look at Daytona. What does a C class property rent for in that metro? Okay. So Orlando yeah. is going to be separate from okay. Daytona. Separate them out. So let's say a C class property today mm-hmm. is probably going to lease around $1,000. Okay something like that, yeah. give or take a, I would say a one, one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, something that's like that. about what a C-class property rents for here in, in, in Atlanta, even in, in the South Atlanta area. And there's, there's different parts of course, but I mean, I typically see a C-class property in, in an older community. Usually it's, it's an, it's an existing area. It's, it's an older area. Um, oftentimes those properties are not exactly, I wouldn't say always distressed, but they're in areas where maybe it's just because their age, you see some distressed properties occasionally on a, on a few blocks, but the rent value is typically, you know, around a thousand dollars a month. I think you nailed it. That's that's, and there's some range. Yeah. There's definitely some buffer up and down even a little bit, but that's what your typical C-class property is. These are, um, and not to pigeonhole tenants, but but these tenants are typically, uh, you know, blue collar workers. I mean, these, these are your everyday people. This is this is you know, these aren't business owners renting these houses. Some of them might be, of course, and and you can never generalize everything. But these are these are not 
the most expensive areas. I mean, th- these are areas where it is likely, um, you know, inexpensive to buy, you know, relatively strong rents. So if I'm picking a cash flowing property, if I am intentionally trying to find a cash flowing property. The one thing I want to add okay. to this, um, and, and this is something that I feel really strongly about C-class properties don't necessarily mean dilapidated. They shouldn't mean that they are not taken care of. Correct. It just means that a lot of times we're looking at, you know, basic, just, more basic yeah. carpeting or it's just a lower income area exactly. than, than, than your higher income area. It's, it's an income bracket. That's the idea that we're looking for here. Exactly. And typically speaking in America, your C-class areas are going to have the largest pool of tenants because the, the majority of everywhere in America is going to be lower income than that. Cause there, there's a larger percentage of people with lower income than with super high income. That's just the numbers that we're talking about here and real estate investing, especially in a cash flow strategy is a numbers game. This whole thing is a numbers game. When I sell properties and Christine, it's been a long time since I've actually intentionally gone out there trying to sell properties, but occasionally I will, if I'm selling a cash flow investment, the likelihood that the investor goes out there and sees the property or I go and I actually like look at the property and tour it like you would like a rig is like nil. I am selling that property on a spreadsheet. We are opening opening up an Excel spreadsheet, diving through the cash on cash return, looking at the cap rates, trying to estimate the ages of the roof and the HVAC system, seeing what minimal due diligence period. Absolutely. Exactly. That's, that's what that strategy looks like. And you have to have someone that really grasps all the moving parts for it to do it really, really well. Because if you're expecting $300 a month in cash flow, but you didn't factor in something as simple as annual taxes, and let's say you've bought in an area where the taxes are massively high. Well, guess what? Your $300 a month cash flow drops down to like a buck 50. And you are hurting. If, if your strategy is to make a monthly amount, because that's, I think, the best way to build a cash flow strategy is to start with how much monthly income do I want to earn with this real estate investment, right? That's step one. I want to buy a cash flow property. I need to make this much per month with it. And then you build the strategy around that. That's like the base level up. So if you're wanting this much cash flow, then these are the areas where you can potentially make that. Here's the rent. Here's the sales price of the property. Here's what a mortgage should cost. Here's what you know other fees should cost. Here's what the it's going to cost you. And this is what rent is. And that's why you need a team that really understands the local market. Like, like most of our investors, like most of our investors are non-local investors, right? They, they're not from here. They don't, they don't live in Georgia or Florida. They live in the West coast. They live in another country. They live someplace else. And they recognize that we have better cap rates. This is where a cap rate really does come into play. Like I think cap rates are a um, very incomplete analysis on a property. It is, it is not telling you a whole lot other than rent versus sales price, right? That is all it really is. It is, it is annualized rent divided by the sales price. Ta-da, done. Like that's the whole thing. So <laughs> that's what a cap rate is. Yes. Yes. Agreed. I, and I think this is, this is also the beauty of like the cash flow strategy mm-hmm. is that when you're looking, you know, like you've said, it's mostly a numbers game, mm-hmm. especially with the cash flow strategy. Mm-hmm. You're looking at you're looking at how you can maximize either monthly cash flow for mm-hmm. a period of time or stabilize that same number. Sure. So those are those are the things that you can look at doing that strategy. And we're going to actually, we have another episode coming where we're, we're, we're going to pull up the spreadsheets. We're going to geek out and we're literally going to go through a oh my God, entire yes. investment analysis. So that's, that's where the cash flow strategy is, is probably weighted the heaviest on just numbers. 
and how you can manipulate that cat, that monthly Mm -hmm. or quarterly sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think that one is. So who, who, who is the ideal cash flow investor? It's, it's, I mean, that's where it comes down to like, if, who is going to choose this strategy? The person that's going to choose this strategy, typically speaking, is someone trying to make ancillary monthly income. I need more monthly or quarterly or annualized. I need my income to be higher. I'm not, I don't have enough, you know, so much money that I don't care about making income. I'm going to, I'll save this money for the future. This is my retirement. No, no. These are people that are like, I need a higher income. This is where, and this is kind of a little pet project of mine, kind of goes into the the philosophy of real estate investing that, that you know, in, in my book where I talk about this, which isn't published yet, so don't anybody look for it just yet. Um, it's, it's where I'm talking about, this is the greatest impact. And in my opinion, this is one of the greatest um, impacts to the American people. Because literally last night when we were talking about the dwindling middle class in America, it's because people don't have enough income versus inflation and cost of living and things like that. So this model is something that almost everybody can do if they have the right team around them and the right knowledge of how you can make this option work. Almost everyone in, in America, if you have a relatively decent income can handle this. This this is what people in what should be the middle class right now, but we just can't make it over that hump or like, oh, I would like to be there and like, hey, $100,000 a year in income isn't what it used to be. And like, how do you make that $100,000 a year feel like $100,000 a year is you invest it in something like this and take your $100,000 a year and turn it into $120,000 a year because you bought one cash flowing rental investment. And then you take that, you leverage it and buy a second cash flowing rental investment. Now, $100,000 a year becomes $150,000 a year. And you just can, you can scale this up in such a short period of time with the correct moves and the correct knowledge that this can become the answers to building back the middle class in America. And if you do it right by making a really good product, it doesn't even have to feel gross. Like the landlords, I know landlords, nationally speaking, in in the metaverse and in the you know the memes and stuff, people don't like landlords. I get that because oh, you're making money off of me. Well, it's it's worse if you're not giving somebody a good product. If you actually can give somebody a nice, safe, happy, uh, respectable place to live, then nobody does, nobody dislikes that landlord. That landlord is the hero. Of course, and that's where you can really make a change in America, even. So cash flow, a cash flowing property does not mean a property that is not well maintained. As a matter of fact, I would say because the cash flow strategy is so scalable, mm-hmm. this is where you see portfolios being built. Uh, and this is this is where owners who have 10 units, uh, 15 units, they've learned a lot along the way. They understand the value of taking care of a property. They understand it because they've probably they probably gotten to the point where they want to set themselves up to refinance or have some additional um, goals with this portfolio. So this, uh, me personally, when I first really started and cash flowing was, was what I wanted to do. I wanted to really understand it. And that's what brought me into property management. Um, and this is one of my favorites. Oh, quite honestly, my God. Absolutely. But you just said a thing, Christine, which leads us into my, my, the actual, my actual favorite model. Are you ready Are for you it? going to throw out the big acronyms again? Yeah. Really? Acronym time. Acronym time. So <laughs> <laughs> it's time to talk about burr. It's, it's, it's cold. It's so let's talk about the burr. Christine, what does burr stand for? Okay. So it is buy, Boom. rehab, rent, refi, and repeat. Repeat. So we talk about scalability. We talk about actually becoming a wealthy person. This, in my opinion, this is the best way to do it. 
the, the problem that I think most people realize because, because everybody knows, or well, not everybody, several people in the in real estate investing world will throw this acronym out there. I had to correct somebody on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago about a burr strategy that off was off the rails. And she clearly had no idea what she was talking about with it. And I was like, let me give you a 1200 word correction here. It was on LinkedIn. That was too many words. I don't care. I did it anyways. She deleted her post in mine afterwards, but because it was bad advice, this is where I think people recognize that you can become absurdly wealthy with the proper burr strategy. We, you and I literally had a conversation of, Hey, Christine, what is the quickest way to, to make a million dollars cash? And we both write burr, burr, burr. Yeah. It's, it's the quickest way to wealth, but it's it not doesn't, just cash. it doesn't work everywhere. And it doesn't work if you don't have the people that know how to do it. That's the problem. Sorry. Go ahead. So it's not just cash on hand too. And this is the, this is the biggest thing that I think people get hung up on is debt to some people is very, very scary. Mm-hmm. Leveraging money is very, very scary. Once you get because over, what if it doesn't work? Well, yes. And, and I get it. I've been there too. Um, once you get over that hump and you realize that not only, not only are you perhaps, and usually in a burr, you are cash flowing at least a little bit. Once you realize that you have some sort of positive cash flow, and you also at the same time are building your net worth, you're building a larger portfolio, you're mm-hmm. building a, you're building a little empire here. Yeah. And, and I think that's what most people, uh, it scares them because it feels unattainable. Mm-hmm. But once you really break it down, these are really simple words. Oh my God, they are. Really, really simple. So th- this is empire building. I mean, I hashtag empire building all the time every time I talk about this because it, it's exactly that. This is how you build your own little kingdom empire. This is how you build wealth. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I want to dive into how this actually works. And, and we have a we we're, we will have a very long discussion later about really specific information about how to actually operate this and do this well. Like we might even talk about actual zip codes, like where it works because it doesn't work everywhere. The whole idea, the, the way to make this work is you have to buy a distressed property. Like that is literally step one. That's if, where you get the first R. Yeah. You're building it in. You got to rehab it and, and, and you and, can't be afraid of it. And guess what? That, of course, that's the biggest risk. It's the biggest risk because it's going to give you the biggest reward. It's the biggest risk. What if you tear down the walls of a 1950s, you know, bungalow and find that there's, you know, something crazy in those walls? What if, what if like, oh God, now I have to get extra permits. Oh, now I've got to rewire the whole Termites, thing. Termites, asbestos, yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of yeah, fun There's stuff. a lot of risk in there. Which is why it's so important to have people that really know what they're talking about before you just buy one and hope it burrs, right? Like you've got to have the right people there. And this is, I mean, you don't have to be an expert in it, but you have to have somebody that, that knows what they're talking about when they get this going, because you've got to add in your value, the purpose of this. So let, let's discuss how this works in overview. You buy a distressed property that is under value from the median in an area. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain, so there's it's a numbers a lot, game. It is very much a numbers game. There's also certain percentages you want to look at. Absolutely. And, and that's in our deep dive. We will go over Absolutely. that uh, percentages under market value. And then that are ideal. Yeah, and exactly. again, kind of to go back to the thing that we always harp on, don't let perfect get in the way of good. Yep. So after you've found the address that's going to work for you or the area that's going to work for you, because you have some distressed properties. What these areas typically look like, they're usually older. It's very similar to the cash flow structure. It's a t- typical, similar type of property. But what you're seeing in there, the, these are the areas that, and, and I don't like this word because it has some negative connotation, but you start to see some of that gentrification or that um, recapture that, uh, and it's and it's honestly, it's because of an income bracket. It's because first-time homebuyer properties are long going away. Like there's not new builds. You don't see a lot of new construction that's in that 
you know, first time home buyer price range. And so the ideal version of this is you buy the distressed property and you give it the modern features. You give it the recessed lighting, you put in the LVP floors, you actually make it nice, almost to the level of what it could have been in a new, new construction, but you are able to buy it at such an undervalued price because you have to put in the work. You rehab it and make it a nice home that you can charge a rental value that it's worth now because you've done the correct rehab that you can now cash flow your property. If you've bought it for, let's call it a hundred, you've put $30,000 into it. You rent it for $1,200 a month. That's a really strong cap rate. That is a massive amount of, of actual monthly income because if it's done right and you've handled all those systems to begin with, guess what? You restart those systems. You're not worrying about your roof. You're not worrying about your HVAC. You're not worrying about your water heater. You've taken care of those in that rehab process. So your maintenance cost, guess what? It's now low. So this is where I feel really strongly. I think, I think especially in an effective birth, the rehab is the most important part. Oh yeah. A thousand percent. So if you, if you over, if you overdo it, mm-hmm. you're losing money. Yeah, of course you, you underdo it. You're losing money. Yeah, of course you are. You it's don't do spot. it right. You're not going to refi. Yeah. So this is where you need to align yourself with mm-hmm. not one, not two. You have to have a few resources to make mm-hmm. sure that the rehab is going to come out. It's going to yeah. come out well shameless plug. This is why you want a property management company (laughs) because we have relationships with a lot of different vendors. I mean, you, you need that. You can't just depend on one for a period of time because everybody has a burnout. Well, and and exactly what you said, you can over-improve these. I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't need to go and put in, you know, imported Italian custom marble in the kitchen. LVP is a great product. I love LVP flooring. It is very durable. It lasts a very long time. And if you get the, the relatively decent quality of LVP, it lasts for a long time and looks incredible. And it's not overly expensive. It's much less than trying to refinish some floors from, you know, 1935 or mm-hmm. whatever. That's relatively expensive. That can be like 750 a square foot, whereas LVP is closer to like five. Um, and it, and it looks great. You get those really nice options. It's easy to clean. So your tenants are going to appreciate it because it's easier to clean LVP than it is, you know, old distressed floors or carpet. To be perfectly honest, it's mm-hmm. easier. I mean, let them have rugs and all that stuff too. And then you you can put in your granite countertops. Everybody likes granite countertops. It got really popular 10, 15 years ago. I mean, it's still relatively popular today, but like you don't have to go marble and quartz. Granite is relatively inexpensive nowadays and it, and it looks super sharp. And again, it's easy to maintain. It's easy to clean. And then you can charge a not, you don't want to, you don't want your target rent price to be the top market. You don't want it to be the top. You want it to be around the median. This is why the numbers are so important to do them all Yep. and still cover making the nicest house at that median price range. That's what you're trying to do. And then after that's done, you've got your tenant in there. They are now happy. Your tenant loves this property because it is a beautiful, gorgeous, great home at a, at an affordable, like they feel like it is a miracle that they found this home. And when it's done properly, all of these do, but now guess what? Your property is nearly as valuable as all the flips that are going on in this gentrified area. So you've got hundred and twenty hundred and thirty thousand dollars into it but you see those arvs arv stands for after repair, uh, value. repair value so that's when people do a flip right they, they've come in they've really improved the house and then now they're now they're selling it to an owner occupant but you see those arv values being like 185 200 almost and you've only got like 120 130 into it so you know you can cash out refi you can refinance this property at that value and take the difference. It's like selling the home, only you keep it. The other very beautiful thing about this is if you plan, you have a strategy, you work your numbers correctly, a lot of times your initial investment that you've put in, you know, that 20% or whatever, whatever percent you need to to finance this project, mm-hmm. a lot of times you're getting that back. Yeah, of course you are. So yeah, it's pretty beautiful. And you're cash flowing the entire time too. Yeah. So that's the refi you've, you've, you've done it. Really, and this is again, where it's important to have that correct team, your lender, 
who's you know giving you your mortgage on this property like that's important that you've discussed this with them beforehand you know a good appraiser is worth their weight in gold but i mean and a property manager is helpful in this case too because i mean i know i have sent my comps for for you know appraisers many times and gotten those differences but what's great is all right now you've got your refi now you have all this capital what do you do with it christine you repeat repeat you repeat, the process repeat repeat until there is no more available burr <laughs> properties you buy them until there aren't any left and then what happens let's let's talk about this from a quick numbers game you buy a property for 100 grand you put 20 into it you refinance it for 160 what's the difference there you got $40,000 in the refi i mean there's give or take some closing costs and what have you so now you go take that $40,000. You split it into two $20,000 payments. You buy two more $100,000 properties. And now you put another 20 in them. You do the th- same process. You make 40 on each one of them. It scales exponentially in a handful of, you know, maybe six months, maybe a year. Mm-hmm. You went from a portfolio worth $150,000 to now you have a portfolio worth a million, million and a half, two million, depending on how many you can buy and find. It is the quickest way. <laughs> it is it is astonishing how quick your actual wealth can be built through this model, which is why we do it. Yep. <laughs> and there are so many other strategies that I actually want to talk about. I mean, today we talked about the cash flow and the long-term buy and hold and, and burr. Um, and, and I really want to spend some time talking a little bit more in depth about those particular strategies. But there are so many other strategies out there, like actually like creating turnkeys, um, the build to rent model, which is so popular right now that I want to get into that and, and flips. Oh my gosh, actual flips. This is the HGTV version of this, right? This is what everybody comes here to try and do. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to discuss those in, in upcoming episodes, but you know what? For, for, for today, I just want to thank everyone again for listening please make sure to like and subscribe and we'll see you on the next episode.